time for more movie thoughts, reviews, and royal commentary from Richard Fitzwilliams and Natasha Wanton on the Midweek Drive. So let's assume this is going to be the last ever BAFTAs uh, because of nuclear war, which is probably going to be happening before too long. Um, let's see what those predictions are going to be. Natasha Wanton, you've sent me your list. Richard Fitzwilliams, you've sent me your list as well. Natasha, let's launch with yourself. Uh, you've made some very intriguing ones here, but you have, it would seem, uh, let your heart rule your head in many cases, starting off, of course, with Best Film, where you've gone for The Power of the Dog. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I had to go with this one. It's just, it just stole me. It just is one of those movies that just took me on a journey and I just really enjoyed it. I know that there are, I don't necessarily agree with the film's some of the other films that are there. Do you know what I mean? I don't think some of them are worthy of being there, but I think... Oh, come now. Don't Look Up has got to be infinitely better than Tick, Tick, Boom, hasn't it? Surely. (sighs) The blasphemy, Alex. The blasphemy. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. The the Power of the Dog was the one that I could justify the most, I think, being on the list, which is why I think I went for that. There are, yeah, intriguing entries, I think, in some of the BAFTAs this year. Um, some of them I'm not very I couldn't get very excited about but that was one of the ones that I could so that was why I went for that one Mm. so no disagreement there with respect to Richard you've also gone for that Uh, and again I know you're devastated that in terms of best British film uh, you couldn't actually feel that the the joys of House of Gucci uh, surely should actually be a winner but Rebel Wilson's hosting Uh, your thoughts on uh, Rebel Wilson uh, being put in charge is she going to live up to the the, the Stephen Fry standard of years past? Oh, I think she's going to uh, cultivate her own inimitable style. And it, it, I think it'd be very, very interesting to see because, I mean, Stephen Fry was, uh, I, I, I thought, perfection, but he did it for several years. And Joanna Lumley didn't, she wasn't sure-footed. I mean, Rebel Wilson's an attempt also. I mean, there's no doubt about this, to get more more viewers. What they've done, obviously, on the one hand, you know, you've got June with 11 nominations. You've got No Time to Die with five. Everyone has heard of both of them. A lot of people have seen them. That is the draw. The fact that 19 out of the 24 nominees are first-timers, uh, the fact that most people won't know what... Um, uh, Ali and Ever or Passing or... Well, no, um, of course uh, not, Richard, because you haven't reviewed it on the Midweek Drive Morning Editioners yet. It's scheduled for today. Indeed. How right you are, Alex. But no, 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 seriously. I mean, on Best Film, uh, Belfast and uh, The Power of the Dog, certainly, and Licorice Pizza, to be sure. Uh, What about West Side Story? What about Tick, Tick, Boom? Uh, Don't Look Up is the one that I, I mean, they have to have six. I noticed with outstanding British film, they've gone to 10. So that really does mean that you've got a pretty well everything, including the House of Gucci. But what I think is going to happen is that the power of the dog, as Natasha says, and for the reasons that she's given, is going to win. And um, Belfast will be under outstanding British film. So everyone will be reasonably satisfied because that's what's expected. I really, really would be surprised if we get a lot of surprises. I think everybody knows that Benedict Cumberbatch is going to walk it. Will Smith will win at the Oscars for King Richard, but Benedict Cumberbatch's mesmeric performance as a deeply repressed 
and extremely hostile individuals say in, uh, in the power of the dog uh, set in the 1920s in Montana. I mean, this this is wonderful. And uh, for best uh, actress, uh, Joanna Scanlon, um, definitely, definitely for After Love, very unusual, but most people won't have seen it. And some okay, once again, Richard, you're dominating the conversation and I can't have that because you are a male and you are white. So let's move to Natasha uh, and uh, let's return to, to your good self, uh, Natasha, and let's talk a little bit more about your choices. Belfast, of course, uh, you've agreed with Richard there in terms of your, your tip for film. Still can't understand why you haven't gone for uh, House of Gucci, but never mind. Uh, intriguingly enough, documentary, this is one that I thought was quite interesting, you've gone for The Rescue uh, with this one. Any reasons for, for that was your choice of best documentary? There, there were a number of choices I could have gone for. Um, I just, I thought that the story, it was just such a big story that really everyone seemed to know and it seemed to really grip the whole world and everyone sort of held their breath while it was happening. So I, I guess that was why I went for that story. It just seemed to have the most universal gravitas rather than the others. Now I'm not saying the others aren't you know, equally impressive and artistic. And, you know, there are maybe some more artsy options that will probably win. But I, yeah, I chose the rescue because I felt like that one had the message that touched the most people. I think. Uh, best director, Jane Campion, also the power of the dog. So I think you agreed with respect to that as well. Uh, let's just bring in a few other sort of fine folk at present. Uh, Yaz, the BAFTAs, does it really mean anything to you? Or is it just a case of, look, I'm just getting over COVID. How can I possibly be concerned about these, these British trinkets? You know, <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with the second option. Yeah, honesty is always the best policy, Yaz. Very good for that point of view. Kathy, uh, let's tell you good self, Kathy Manso. Uh, you're now actually in Britain for the BAFTAs, the launch of the BAFTAs and so on. We've talked about some of the other lines within that. Uh, would you be glued to your television set to see how that Australian uh, soul, Rebel Wilson, actually manages to encapsulate this uh, world in which we know it's got serious in the Ukraine because a pepper pig has now actually uh, entered the combat scenario. And indeed, apparently the, the Russians can now actually quite honestly just use their own pepper pig versions without any threat of any sanctions whatsoever. Well, I mean, you said it best. Entertainment is entertainment. Uh, <laughs> so yes, I'll be watching. Um, I got questions. I got concerns. I'm. I mean, why not? I'm here. Do as the people do, right? I got. I need to know things. I also am really curious how it's going to go with like Don't Look Up and Dune, especially and Licorice Pizza and all they're the things. They're not going to win because they. They. I mean, they should win, but they're not going to win tragically. I mean, that's that's the key thing. I but think that's why you watch the reactions. That's why you look at like the what. <laughs> Of course they shouldn't win, Alex. You're being provocative. <laughs> yeah, Dune, a masterpiece of a movie for oh so many reasons. Uh, leading actress, of course. Let's move on to that. Uh, Richard, I'm not sure. you haven't. I think there must be a bit of a disagreement here. Uh, Natasha's gone for Amelia Jones in Coda. Uh, your choice, Richard, of course, was... Well, I mean, may I say, I entirely agree with Natasha and uh, Amelia Jones. It's brilliant in CODA. The point is uh, simply that everyone expects Joanna Scanlon to win. I was, I mean, and before I sent that uh, email, Alex, I did research on what's expected. And whereas I would go, as I agree with Natasha for Amelia Jones, um, I think it will be Joanna Scanlon. Everyone is expecting these are 
you know, not necessarily who I'd want to win. I'd vote for Amelia Jones, but Joanna Scannon is brilliant. After Love is this extraordinary story of a white uh, British Muslim. We know, Richard, we covered it a few weeks ago. As I said, highly depressing, but let's move on in any case, shape or form. You know, again, time is of the essence. Best director, I think we'll agree, Jane Campion for The Power of the Dog. Uh, and best actor, Benedict Cumberbatch, uh, also in, in, in Power of the Dog. Uh, it's going to be a howling success, I can see, uh, in more ways than one. Um, any other highlights you want to pick up at this particular stage, Natasha, in terms of, of changes and areas with respect to that? Supporting actress, again, you've gone for Katrina Balf for Belfast, I see, as opposed to Jessie Buckley in The Lost Daughter. Yeah, I just, I feel like it's going to be a good show for Belfast, and I feel like it's going to be a good show for The Power of the Dog. So I sort of tried to split my sort of it's accordingly this is good um, this is good this is the way you win just a heart because richard has tragically gone for steven spielberg's ariana de Boza in uh, in steven spielberg's west side story as his best supporting actress so you know maybe there's a chance here that uh, you, you could actually sort of take on the mantle in your first year of, of predictions on that sort of basis um richard back to yourself again i see that you've also added in terms of best foreign language film uh, no real surprise here drive my car Yes, which is also nominated in the Best Director category, um, which, uh, I mean, quite frankly, the Best Director had this, this rather extraordinary um, lack of two nominations, uh, no Kenneth Branagh for Belfast, no Steven Spielberg for West Side Story. And, and you know, I mean, uh, and Natasha's quite rightly been outraged by Andrew Garfield's omission. We discussed this in previous weeks. So, I mean, there really are a lot of certainly, shall we say, unusual happenings here. Um, uh, yes, I think Raisuki Hamaguchi's Drive My Car Will Walk It. But I also, I would, uh, Natasha, regarding the uh, documentary, it's going, believe me, it's going to be Summer of Soul, which is the alternative African-American Woodstock. Yeah, I did has think it was be... going to be that one. I just, I just went with, <laughs> I went with my heart for a lot of options. And I, and I, if I was picking with my head, I would probably have picked that. But I just thought, do you know what? Just jump in with both feet like you normally do and go for it, which has got me this far in life. So, uh, I'd love to actually spend time on the British short animation Do Not Feed the Pigeons, uh, by Geordie Marrera and indeed best British short film. But frankly, a bit like the BAFTA award ceremony ourselves, I think we'd be losing interest. So, Kathy, don't, um, don't, don't neglect Cody Smith McPhee, Alex. Why, why, why would we? Well, you have, he's going to win best supporting actor. Uh, he may. We don't know as yet. That's the reason that there's a slight smidgen of uncertainty. OK, yes, we're going to turn to you at this particular moment in time because you have the choice in terms of which particular movie is going to actually be first up in terms of this particular sequence. Uh, what would you actually uh, like? Would you like Richard to go down the line of body horror? Um, and uh, a quite shocking sort of incarnation of body horror with uh, Titan or Titane or Titan, one of the way, or indeed Ali and Ava. Uh, which one would you like him to go for first, Ali and Ava or Titan? Titan. <laughs> let's well, start with the body horror. Yeah, let's, let's start with the body <laughs> horror and then leave it off nicely at the end. 
I mean, there is nothing nice about Titan. You either love it, which is the majority of critics, or you absolutely hate it. It's experimental, it's sensational, a body horror movie. Well, yes, to be sure, I mean, director Julia Ducourneau, her previous film was the film about cannibalism, uh, another body horror film, Raw, which I don't know if anyone has seen it. I have not seen it, and I am most certainly not going to see it. Uh, we follow Alexia, who's played by Agatha Russo, who gets into a car or involved in a car accident at an early age with her father, and whom she has an abusive relationship. Uh, and so we meet her as a little girl, and in there's a car accident. She suffers a skull injury. She has a titanium plate filled in her head. When she gets out of hospital, uh, she starts embracing cars, quite literally, in point of fact, because uh, she works as a showgirl at uh, a motor show, uh, and then starts, uh, kills a fan who she feels is abusive. You see, the thing is, of course, she's become mechanical. She not only makes love to cars, it goes further when she's pregnant, because she's impregnated by a car. A movie like this. So, so it's a true to life story, then, Richard, obviously. It is. Now, Alex, actually, you're quite right. And you picked up on that earlier, must say. Uh, it, it is a very unusual movie, uh, especially since she decides to uh, pretend to be a missing person. And the missing person's father accepts her as his missing son. She is, of course, not. But he's a captain of a fire brigade, introduces her to his men. And the story, whilst we have a variety of murders, and indeed we also have uh, the result of this, shall we say, very, very unusual pregnancy. I mean, all I can say about this movie if you have to rate it out of 10 or whatever, you have to rate it for yourself and then you have to rate it for those who enjoy this sort of thing. It's undoubtedly garish. It is sensational. It is outrageous. Uh, it's meant to be all of those things. What is the cinema if it doesn't experiment? Well, fair enough. What are the performances like? Uh, we've got um, Agatha Roussel as the mechanical... Uh, somewhat monstrous Alexia, and we've got Vincent Linden playing Vincent, who adopts her as his son, no missing. Uh, it's not a movie that uh, resembles anything I've seen before. You could talk about the visuals and the music, and you could also talk about any aspect of it. Did I like it? No. Uh, a minority of critics did not. Um, Eighty-nine percent people did, though, on Rotten Tomatoes, according to, to the scores. Well, Alex, of course, if you read about this movie, you have a pretty good idea of what you're going to see. So if you like body horror movies, you will. And in that case, you'd give it, say, eight or whatever it is out of ten. If, on the other hand, like me, you watch it because you... Frankly, I've avoided it for some time because I didn't want to see it because I didn't think I'd like it and I didn't. Uh, Did you not well, like David Cronenberg's Crash, though, Richard? I mean, surely that was the same thing in a different era. I'm sorry to say I didn't see it. Oh, oh well. Um, it's all to do with uh, sex, cars, automobiles. People who actually uh, could only actually achieve satisfaction by being involved in a crash. Don't do it. That's what I say. It's the midweek drive for a reason. Stay safe. Um, 
Natasha, uh, Julia Ducronau, Ducronau, who's the director of uh, Titan, uh, she is actually nominated for a BAFTA. Do you think she's going to win? No. <laughs> there was, yeah, I saw the trailer for this one. There were a lot of fishnet tights in that trailer, weren't there? There was a lot of screen time for that. Um, do you know what? I, I agree with Richard in that the arts needs experimentation. It needs people pushing boundaries. It needs things, you know, thinking out the box because that's how we progress. That's how we get new things. That's how things keep fresh. Do I necessarily want to watch a movie like that when, as, as I've seen the trailer and as described by Richard? I'm going to be honest, it's not my cup of tea. Um, looking at it, it would probably <laughs> give it a one out of ten if I watched it, purely mm. because it's not my sort of thing. Perhaps, um, perhaps watch is not the correct word. Perhaps endure should be used as the yeah, adjective. That might be better. Yeah. But hey, if people love it and it gets people to the cinema and it you know, it, it brings us out new things and pushes the boundaries. That's all great, but I won't yeah, be watching that's it. A, that's a very dangerous road to pursue. People used to like the guillotine because they got them out of the house and they could actually deal with knitting. I'm not saying it should actually be brought back. Although there are countries which maintain actually a good decapitation is exactly what we need. Cathy, um, Titan, one for yourself, or is it a case of no fishnet tights? Got to step away from that, really. Oh man, I don't know. It's weird. And I'm interested in weird, but I have two questions. I don't know if you guys can answer it. Um, Richard, first question. Did it surprise you? Were you surprised? I, the answer has to be no, because I'd seen and read in the, I, I, you couldn't avoid reading a certain amount about it. I mean, I really do try before I see a movie to read nothing about it at all. If that's the case, it can surprise you on all sorts of levels. In this case, it won at Cannes, you know, and there's been a lot in the papers. And when you see it described as a body horror film and you know that uh, Ducarneau's previous one with the work was on cannibalism, I mean, I knew it would be pretty weird. And that's what it was. Uh, I suppose you could say it surprised being the, I mean, the level of weirdness, the violence of some of the scenes, maybe a bit, yes, but I knew it would be something I didn't really relish. <laughs> I, I, I don't know, Richard, you say that. I just, um, you, you've obviously never been to a Signet public relations meeting at the University of Lincoln, but that's uh, that can be most bizarre, as Yaz will attest to. Uh, so, Cathy, did you, did you, was that a general question or was that just a Richard? Uh, that one was for Richard, but then I guess this is up to everyone. Would we categorize this as metafiction? I'm sorry, what? Metafiction. Meta Fiction beyond the norm. Metafiction. Yes, yes, I would think. <laughs> I would hope. Yeah, <laughs> nothing to do with Mark Zuckerberg, who has his own form, meta, and indeed, obviously, free speech and so on. Apparently, you can certainly say in certain Balkan states that it's okay to kill people. Not in everybody, but there we are. That's according to Zuckerberg. I'm so pleased that since Nick Clegg, actually took on board his role as uh, one of the guidance folk for uh, uh, Facebook, that the whole company has actually been uh, spotless and flawless. It just shows what a success we actually had in Britain when we had the Clegg uh, Cameron coalition. Still, never mind, politicians, all good stuff. Uh, yes, Titan, is this one which you think, yeah, I want to have a movie which is going to make me feel quite good after COVID. This is for me. You know... I went with the full body horror for a reason, and that was to get it in and out the system. Um, I do not think that uh, definitely after Richard's uh, commentary, it's a no for me, yeah. for safety reasons. 
<laughs> yeah, safety reasons, exactly. Although I think it's fair to say, Richard, uh, no cars were actually harmed in the making of Titan. Uh, there's surely a, a line on that basis. You know, it's, uh, well, we Alex, we don't know that. <laughs> Maybe traumatised slightly, but not actually physically harmed. It's just the thought. Some of the scenes in it are quite unbelievable, but I didn't really think it was necessary to uh, describe the murders in any detail, uh, and I'm sure you agree. Yeah, certain amount of subtlety is important, even for the midweek drive and the joys of radio. Uh, Ali and Ava, then. Ali and Ava actually is uh, a movie that's uh, been, I mean, the nominations at the BAFTAs, it's it's impressive, it's for outstanding British film, and uh, also um, Alim Khan's performance for Best Actor. So, I mean, this is a, a very sensitive movie, and director Cleo Bernard, who did The Selfish Giant, uh, is a very sensitive director. Uh, it's about, also it's about something that you don't see that often, a relationship between, a cross-cultural relationship between middle-aged people. Ten, maybe five, ten years ago, uh, films of this sort certainly were rare. Uh, we meet Ali, played by Aleem Khan. He's separated from his wife, but the, his problem is that he still lives with her. Uh, he doesn't want the family to know. And it's quite a lonely life and it's rather a difficult balance. His wife, Rena, played by a lawsuit, taught her very, very well. And um, we've we've met uh, the uh, Adil Akhtar, who, who plays Ali. Um, we met him in the, in, uh, the BBC La Miz. And Ali, as I say, he's, he's separated. He's in this rather strange relationship with his wife they haven't definitely decided to um, completely separate but it's obvious that that is the probable result so this is set in Bradford and when he meets uh, Ava uh, who's played by Claire Rushbrook now she brings a lot of baggage to the table because uh, she has been in an abusive relationship her children I mean one of them has been very very influenced by the, the vicious racist who um, is now no longer part of her life, her, her former husband. Uh, the, here we meet um, Callum, played by Sean Thomas, who was in The Selfish Giant. And again, as the relationship develops, there is a racism within her family, but also what you're seeing is two very lonely people getting together and it's handled in a very sensitive way. And also message of course of hope for those of later years. And, and, but, and this gives the movie, the movie is rather uplifting in that respect. But one of the things I couldn't understand, and I mean, uh, We've been talking about June quite a lot, and it obviously is important at the moment with the BAFTAs. June was shot, and I always remember commenting on this, in, as though every, the world was in a sort of twilight. One of the odd things about Ellie and Ever is that the photography, if you... Um, I, I was rather curious as to why so much of it was so dark. This is not a dark movie. It's actually an uplifting movie. It's how two people crossed from different cultures in um, their middle years, can find love when they've had a, a difficult or um, relationships that haven't worked. 
And it's it's also strange. I mean, some scenes in this, there's a scene where kids chuck stones in their car when the two of them are there together. But what really turns Ali on is music. And so when he turns up his music and the two of them get out of the car and they're all dancing together, you do sometimes feel that the harmony in the movie is perhaps a little forced. I also would comment on that this is my fault. Um, the accents... It's very much the case for this sort of movie that a lot of directors believe that in real life, when you talk to people, that you would miss, say, one or two or three of their comments uh, out of, say, 10. And this is the way people talk in a Richard, film. That's the reason that you can have the subtitle button for when you actually watch this you know, in your own environment. Just put the subtitles on. You can hear exactly what's being said, or at least decode it, shall we say. Well, there is... Oh, I had a bit of problems there. But uh, having said that, as Ali, Adil Akhtar, a superb actor, a Kerr Rush book, extremely good. So you can see why this is a very likable film. And also, as I say, it's well-directed. I do, as I said, I wonder about the way it's filmed. I found that a bit curious. Having said that, script-wise, very good. It's, it's an intelligent and it's a movie that uh, people have liked. Uh, Natasha, uh, one for yourself. I mean, again, uh, really, ideally for outstanding British film, as you know, personally, I would be uh, leaping for joy if Ridley Scott's House of Gucci actually wins, uh, because I think it deserves to because of its approach. But, you know, I've obviously uh, pointed that out. Cyrano is a close second. Uh, you still maintain that Belfast is going to beat uh, Ali and Ava. I think, yeah, I think Belfast will beat this. Um, um, but in terms of enjoyment, I would probably enjoy them similarly. I am excited to watch this movie. It, it looks like a very beautiful, subtle, but very beautiful movie. Um, I really like the casting. I think that the actors have really good chemistry from what I could see in the trailer. Um, and I think it's, we need messages right now of connection. And I think we need messages right now of people coming together across across divides rather than people dividing. So anything sort of supports that narrative. Well, of course, Titan does the same thing, except you're connecting with automobiles as opposed to other human beings. So maybe there is a, a connection there, really. Um, Kathy, Ali and Ava, one that you will be checking out? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I think Natasha said it beautifully. You know, uh, it, it's we should be watching more about connection and especially when it comes through times of difficulty and instead of separating us even further. And I mean, Richard also gave a beautiful uh, review about it. So it's like, why wouldn't I want to go check something out? <laughs> I'm willing. Let's go for it. <laughs> You're so trusting in Richard. I know. I mean, yeah, earlier this week when we were talking about possible location reports, when I mentioned that we might actually go down to London and actually see Richard in person, you were so excited, Kathy. I, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, I mean, we'd have to book up with Richard's agent. There are all sorts of things we need to work through, but, you know, we're, it's in the planning. It depends. Petrol goes through the roof. Who knows where we can go? Anyway, Yaz, let's turn to yourself and Ali and Ava. Nothing to do with a former boxing world champion or indeed a Hollywood actress, Miss, G Miss Gardner, which is what I thought Richard was the case, but what the hey. Uh, is this one that you'll be checking out? Definitely. That sounds like a nice thing to watch especially if you had a long day or anything like that and it seems like it will be um definitely informative on that type of thing 
of course, there is the other bonus that you do have these days, even when you're having to isolate that. So if you're looking for something to watch, you can always watch the lectures that I record for you via Panopto. So, you know, that, that's always that's there as today's well. today's plan. I'm ready for it. I got exactly. you. Exactly. And, and strangely, none of those have yet been nominated for a BAFTA. I mean, I think we just need to have a, a, a wide release. That's the key thing. However, never mind. Uh, let's move on to the world of Stonehenge at the British Museum. Uh Richard, surely this was just a case of how was it ever possibly formed in the first place? But to share with us, Stonehenge. I share with you the fact that a lot of people are going to see it. Uh, and I think we've all heard of Stonehenge. Uh, but I mean, this it, first it's interesting because Stonehenge, you go back uh, four and a half thousand years and basically it gives you an indication of what life was like in Europe at that time of the various artifacts uh, and also and could be like again in the event of obviously the Ukraine conflict coming more to the the fore more prominent basically so this could be a kind of futurist exhibition as well really it that indeed is his way of looking at it that's a cheerful thought and indeed Seahenge which is uh, uh, one of these circles created in the ocean by ancient communities could indeed come back into its own Alex yes yes I mean one of the there are two aspects of this exhibition. The one is that there are a very large number, whether it's headdresses, whether it's uh, various artifacts such as knives and flints and uh, the various tools, or indeed as um, gradually as communities get more sophisticated, a lot of gold objects, the gold hats and so on. Uh, where you look at Ireland and France and Germany and Denmark and Switzerland, where these artifacts are coming from, uh, you know, there's a lot that's interesting. The Nebra Sky Disc, the oldest representation of uh, the cosmos, all of this. And I could go on because it's a large exhibition. <laughs> the gold objects and the headdresses and there's even a supposed prosthetic hand. I do have to say that this exhibition touches on various modern aspects of or, or aspects of life that are relatively modern. I mean, take gender fluidity. But the, the, there is a, a rather extraordinary description of a single grave from which it is extrapolated that gender fluidity was something known at that time. Now, I really can only just say that I was very surprised to see this. I can't comment on whether it on its veracity or otherwise, but there is one problem with this exhibition. It's called The World of Stonehenge, and they don't know anything about Stonehenge. <laughs> There's practically nothing in the exhibition about what Stonehenge really meant, who built it, why was it uh, used as it was? Well, in what way was it used? There's almost nothing in this entire show, and I've seen it twice, about Stonehenge. We simply don't know much about Stonehenge. It's in Wiltshire. Did the stones come from Wales? I went round it with somebody who saw this in a documentary, but there's no mention of it. So in point of fact, this is very like that exhibition called Troy. Now, Troy, we don't actually definitely know that it really existed. It existed in the Homeric epics, Iliad and the Odyssey. And there's a film called Troy, which if any of you have seen it, and has anyone seen it? It's terrific, Richard. It's absolutely amazing. Brad Pitt at his finest, surely. It's Alex, my anyway. husband's favourite movie. And thank what? you, Natasha. There you go. You see. It's my it's my husband's favorite movie. That's his favorite film. Mm -hmm. 
So there we are. Rich is now it going to a state you of shock. You guys literally made <laughs> Richard Fitzwilliams speechless. You did it. It's well amazing. Done, Natasha. <laughs> well, well sorted through that. I always feel sorry for Henge, actually. Why we why Henge was being stoned, I just don't know. But still, what the heck? Um, it's, 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 it's by the by. Uh, it's at the British Museum, doubtless, of course, to find out more details. Kathy, uh, is this an exhibition that you think, despite the fact that it, you could actually say, well, where's the Stonehenge in it? Um, is it one for you? So, you know, I've actually been to the British Museum three times now. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of things being free. <laughs> and <laughs> the, I'm actually impressed that they have something that's more related to their own culture. Um, <laughs> so I think it's definitely something to go check out. Definitely for it. Yeah, that was a little bit of a jab. I'm, I'm going for it. Um, I wish they would talk more about the fairies, though. I feel like I learned more about Stonehenge from Outlander than from anyone else. So <laughs> maybe I can find someone who has just like a keen interest in it and couldn't explain it to me. Exactly, or indeed uh, the John Mills version of Quatermass where Huffity Puffity Ringstone Round as a key sort of factor to play in terms of Stonehenge, actually serving as a, uh, a, a, a drop-off point, a kind of fast food uh, area for extraterrestrials. <laughs> it could <laughs> not happen. <laughs> very good, Alex, yes, very good. <laughs> yes, Stonehenge. This is something that, look, I'm from Bermuda. We have our own triangle to worry about without getting concerned about British scenarios. No, I am quite interested. And as Kathy said, it is free and I'm down with anything that is free. And Natasha, is it something that makes you miss the British Museum or is it just a case of no? I'm afraid that Mr. Wanton is just going to have to have to satisfy himself with watching Troy on continuous loop because it's such a great movie. Um. <laughs> Sorry, Richard. I should have given you a warning on that one. Um, I've been waiting actually, for years for this. It was just it just had to be delivered today. But very very good. Anyway, carry on. Um, I think I've seen this exhibition, or I think I've seen a very similar exhibition at the uh, Natural History Museum about four years ago. Um, I'm not sure if it was this one. I, it was called. I think it was called the World of Stonehenge. Um, and I think, like Richard suggested, it was. It was very wonderfully done, very wonderfully constructed, but there is obviously the whole issue of Stonehenge not, you know, being very well known about as Richard described. And therefore that's quite frustrating when you go and look around and you want to learn more about it. And they're like, oh, well, maybe it's this, but hey, maybe it's this, who knows? And, you know, you kind of just want to dig down and, and like, what is it actually about? <laughs> but no, I, I would recommend it. I, I did learn a lot about the period which is not something um, prehistory is um, that sort of era of history is not something I knew very much about before. So definitely for that, I would say the scene setting, it's worth it. If it's the same one, I'm presuming it's very similar. It's the same sort of thing. I mean, so the artifacts are interesting because it gives you an indication of how life was lived uh, thousands of years ago and, and how gradually... Richard, Richard, is there any indication of uh, a yabba-dabba-doo time, a, uh, a, 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 a general all-round time? Does Dino make an appearance? Do we see Betty and Barney Rubble in there in any way, shape or form? I don't know what you're talking about, Alex. Yeah. Again, an another shocker there from the Flintstones, another great movie and indeed TV series. But there we are. Um, OK, so BAFTAs um, enjoy if you wish. Um, we'll hope it's not too predictable. And let's see where Natasha scores in terms of that in her first official competitive match with respect to Richard Fitzwilliams. Uh, of course, the next up will be the Oscars in the not too distant future. Um, Kathy Manso, Yaz de Graaf, Natasha Wanton, Richard Fitzwilliams. Many thanks as ever and keep watching the movies. 
One of the key things I regularly say to students is it's not necessarily the degree you have, it's what you actually go on to do with the degree. And that's uh, probably just one small uh, smidgen of career advice. However, a recent survey suggests 37% of young people uh, feel that the education system fails to prepare them for the job market with 29%, nearly a third, wishing they'd had more careers advice in school. So as we celebrate another National Careers Week, uh, we're delighted to actually welcome to the programme somebody who's going to share with us her own particular passport to happiness, hopefully, and indeed the way she's actually dealt with this whole roadmap of career occupations. I'm currently a brand assistant at Avado. It's the wonderful Yasmin Balingol. How are you, Yaz? Hi, good, thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm delighted. Now, Yasmin, share with us your own particular pathway in terms of uh, where you actually uh, went from school to what you're doing now at present. Yeah, sure. So I graduated from uni studying English in 2020. So it was probably one of the worst times to join the jobs market as a as a grad. So I was looking for um, work. The opportunities that I had in place already had completely collapsed and the future looked quite difficult, to be honest. I was gaining um, experience and training in as many places as I could, as were most people during 2020. And that's when I came across Fast Futures, which is a online free programme. It's 12 weeks, but within those 12 weeks, it's jam-packed with all of the employability essentials. So you learn about data marketing, finance, um, through interactive sessions, live webinars, and you apply that all to business problems. And I was really interested in going into marketing um, having studied English. So I found that it was a really great inlet to get that foundational knowledge. And um, I was also able to work with a great set of team um, teams and meet and was mentored by different um, industry professionals that were on the programme. So program is supported by some of the UK's leading businesses so such as BT, CGI, Shell, um, Barclays and so on. Um, there are so many great businesses which back this, the program and they are actively looking to employ people afterwards once they've completed um, and you're also signed up to an exclusive jobs board so it was a really great program to kind of get that inlet and get that network where I didn't have before and um, it was through Fast Futures that I was able to kind of get to where I am now and actually work for Arada Learning who is the parent company of Fast Futures so it was a real 360 and a really great experience. Now, as you mentioned, a fast futures graduate, and uh, that on, on the back of an English degree, in many ways, it'd be a fast future, futures postgraduate, perhaps. But just returning back to, to the degree, I mean, English, a lot of students actually do elect to actually study English at university. But in an era where clearly we're looking at graduate opportunities, we're looking at actually developing uh, skills in all sorts of areas. Did you feel actually, uh, again, that what people said, well, it's all very well knowing about 19th century literature or indeed the uh, analysis of uh, uh, Canterbury Tales? or indeed uh, the, uh, the, the thriller and the modern novel or the, the other sort of things. But how can that actually help you secure your, your career that you want to do? Yeah, it was exactly that. And I really did enjoy my degree um, as I was doing it, but I did feel I was in such an academic bubble and I had no preparation for, for the ways, the types of inlets and the ways that you get into industries after graduation. And I think that's the case for a lot of traditional degrees and um, 
definitely I imagine for other people who are studying English they might feel the same that um, it's really enjoyable while you're doing it but then not really knowing what to do once you come out the other side can be really bewildering and I think a lot of people start to question the value of their degrees when they don't when they're unable to get a job straight afterwards um, so there's definitely that that gap between employability and presumably you weren't really interested in actually doing a, a postgraduate academic study and actually becoming a professor of English yourself well it was um but being 2020 I, I I was thinking about doing a postgrad but um unis were still sort of working remotely a lot were still closed off and um we didn't know how long that would go on for and I, I just didn't really want to commit to another year at um of studies when I couldn't go into the classroom and appreciate a lot of people do that and completely kind of credit that route as well but um sometimes it's it's just really good to get your feet on the ground and and start to get running with with your career and that's what I wanted to do at that point yeah there's no such thing I think as a a one-size-fits-all but you mentioned obviously some of the organizations that are involved with Fast Futures and uh, they're pretty prestigious you've got BT you've got Legal in General you've got uh, uh, CGI you've got the NHS you've got HEE I mean it does seem as though it's it's very much uh, as it says, uh, an opportunity to actually bridge that gap between education and employment. Do you think it should be they should be amalgamated within the uh, the higher education system? I know some universities, and University of Lincoln being one, tends to actually mm-hmm. offer that particular line as, as a role. Is that something which you would suggest probably needs to be thought very seriously about in terms of how education is uh, developed in Britain? Yeah, no, definitely. I was actually interested in going to Uni of Lincoln, and I think that there's massive kind of credit to gaining these educational qualifications but um yeah they do need to have some real life relevance and they need to be kind of applied to the real world and I think the the support of the companies that you just mentioned is huge because when do you ever get to to speak to um an industry professional for longer than two minutes saying your elevator pitch and in this program you were able to have up like three sessions or more hourly sessions with a, an industry professional who literally had the power to to give you a job at the end of it and for a lot of students they did give people the jobs afterwards and so that ability um feels so rare but you're right I think it should be integrated more into the education system we need we need more visibility on the types of people who are employing the next young talent and it needs to be integrated you know baked right into the infrastructure of it I think And let's throw you that other kind of question, which uh, I think needs to be asked really from people who might be listening to this and saying, see, you see, I shouldn't go to university at all. I should actually (laughs) not even go there. Do you have any regrets about going to university in the first place and actually doing your English degree? Oh, you know, when I um, when I finished and I was just in in 90 grand debt, um, I did have some questions about it. But all in all, I really enjoyed my experience. And I think that inevitably learning is never lost, isn't it? So um, everything that you learn you can apply it's just key that you you should apply those skills that you learn wherever it is whether you're at school at college working like in retail or hospitality kind of any of those sorts of jobs give you such great skills um and it's it's really just about propelling that learning and just continuing it outside of the classroom outside of the uni hall and um and and try to incorporate into the career that you want to go into so no I don't I don't really regret going to uni I I think that I wish I had um taken up more programs like this sooner and and just had 
advice and more guidance from education system, as, as you pointed out, towards the readiness I could I could prepare for to get myself to this point now. But um, no. You're currently a digital marketing apprentice. When do you actually sort of get your full, uh, fully fledged notion of just become a digital marketing executive? <laughs> yeah, it's a good point. I'm a I'm a brand assistant, but I'm doing an apprenticeship as well in um, digital marketing to to try and like uh, support that funnel. Um, but hopefully soon, we'll, <laughs> who knows? Um, uh, but yeah. Uh, and fast futures presumably also open across the base. So if people are uh, at various stages of, of the educational sort of school and indeed probably aren't even thinking of going to university, this is something that is uh, for, for, for all young people, yes? Yeah, exactly. It's for 18 to 24 year olds and it's um, nationwide. It's available to all. It's free. Um, you've just got to apply online. There's a 20 minute um, personality sort of test and they just give you scenario based questions but it's completely open no matter your qualifications or your background um you've just got to apply fantastic and just out of interest jasmine which university did you actually do your english degree at i i did it in manchester um uh, you should have come to lincoln obviously i mean going over <laughs> to, to that side different lines anyway uh <laughs> Good stuff. Yasmin Bollinger, huge thanks. Just a final sort of line. How can people actually get in touch with respect to Fast Futures? What is the best place to go online to find out more details about what we've been, what we've been discussing today? Yeah, sure. So you go on fastfutures.avado.com, but if that's too much of a mouthful, just look on Avado's website or just search Fast Futures in the search bar and it'll come up. Yasmin Balingal, uh, English graduate, Fast Futures graduate, and indeed digital marketing apprentice at Vardo. Huge thanks and keep on keeping on. Thank you. Well, back to the office, working from home, doing all manner of other bits and pieces. Is it a case of the lifestyle of work and work-life balance that's actually there? Astoundingly, 71% of employees apparently would give up a promotion if they could work from anywhere, according to Avanti research, which also shows that 51% would be willing to take a pay cut in favour of more flexibility or not coming back into the office. Uh, Indeed, 24% would quit their job if forced back into the office full time. So to address these particular findings, we're delighted to actually welcome to the programme today uh, the Vice President uh, EMEA of Ivanti. That's the wonderful David Shepherd. How are you, David? I'm very well. Good morning, Max. Well, I can understand certainly with fuel costs going through the roof at present due to obviously the tragic global situation that people might say we can't afford to travel to the office. So we need to actually work from home on that basis. Um, but this is actually this survey and, and finding seems to have come out of, again, the notion that there is a better way rather than actually being one of those wage slaves who literally has to trot in on the same route day in, day out, week in, week out and so on. Yeah, I think I think we can always find a reason that we don't want to go and sit sit in traffic, can't we? But um, yeah, we 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 we've we've recently surveyed um, uh, kind of kind of our customer base and, and and IT professionals in our industry just to get a take on on people's feel about you know going back to the office and um, and and kind of what the last two years has given us with a view of, of a different way of working, which is, yeah, I'm not going to sit in traffic and, and potentially there are ways of saving time. And, and I know you've called off some of the statistics there already, but of our survey that we just did, only 13% um, actually said that they would be willing to go back to an office um, full-time mm-hmm. as well. So that stat alone gives you a good indication that the feeling is people think they can do their jobs in, in the location they choose. And I think businesses ha- have realized that, 
actually in the last two years employees have been very productive and and and, and done the job that they assumed would have needed to be done in the office in the past now for those of us who are working in education higher education clearly uh there is an essential aspect of face-to-face teaching and tutoring that is uh, a mandatory requirement however yeah. i think it's interesting that one of the things i've been pushing for and suggesting and who knows whether it's actually taken on board is that when it comes to staff meetings and meetings with externals and various other areas and so on maybe that can be done remotely without necessarily having to be physically on site yeah and i think so in fact, 42% of our survey did say that hybrid working is the preferred, is, is really the preferred method now. And, I, and it's exactly what you're saying there. There are things that you will always need um, interaction with people, whether it's, as you say, higher education or, uh, you know, here in Avanti, we, ha- we still have team meetings where everybody needs to be together. So we, we do those. We're face to face. We're in a location. We're in an office. We could, as you say, be in a school. But actually, the other things we do remotely we we don't need to be face to face and that that then brings the other benefits about flexibility into our work schedule as well so it, hybrid is the key there I was surprised to find uh, Nike and Microsoft were among the latest companies to tell workers to prepare, prepare once again for a more formal and regular return to the office I had a kind of feeling that they might have been more innovative companies were you surprised by that yeah, I'm always a little surprised when organisations state that, you know, they, they would prefer people to be coming back to the office. Now, there may be a reason for that, 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 that we don't know. But I think with the way technology is today, there is always an opportunity for an employee to go and ask whether there, there, there can be flexibility in the role. And the employee experience there is the key that I would focus on. I would, I would go to Nike and I, I would ask whether... You know, what, what, what is the employee experience that the employee is actually asking for as well? Although I do understand that, you know, being called back to an office for certain activities might be a necessity. Hmm. We've uh, just had International Women's Day and I was very surprised to see the number of uh, IT women respondents, i.e. 70%, who responded, who basically reported experiencing negative effects from remote work, whilst only 30% of male yeah, respondents is, is, actually... Is that, uh, is, is that my end, Alex, or yours? Sorry. Had that. Uh, <laughs> sorry, David, are you still there? I am still here. Yeah. My, uh, yeah. my uh, Now it says my internet connection is unstable. Oh, <laughs> you're coming through perfectly okay, and I can do an edit on this, so there's, there's, there's no problem. Did you get the last question? Do you want me to repeat the, I believe the last it was question? On, I believe it was on the gender divide, but uh, yeah. if you could ask again. That yeah, absolutely, great. absolutely. Yeah. We've, we've just come out of International Women's Day, and I was really surprised to see that also from this finding, 70% of IT women respondents uh, reported experiencing negative effects from remote work, whilst only 30% of male respondents actually had those same negative effects. Um, that, that was interesting. I might have thought it would have been the other way around, if anything. Yeah, again, another statistic that came out that that, that was kind of eye-opening, but also um, I think when we've dug in and we've looked into um, why why that is, then that there could be reasons, although I'll come on to it, there are positives behind um, uh, what, what was being reported from a, um, from a from a benefit point of view as well. But yeah, I think I think women women are three times more likely to be the caregiver with children and I and and I think some of the negative effects um, with the gender is that when you when you have to take into account caring for um, children for example um, there could be a um, 
a conflict sometimes in terms of flexibility, especially also with the homeschooling that we've just been through as well. That that's that that could that could have also provided additional stress there also. Mm. Um, although women did also, there was there was a slightly higher percentage of women that quoted a better work life balance has been given um, with with a hybrid working environment, and also fifty three percent of women um, did call out that the flexible working schedule did actually help as well. But yes. Um, uh, lack of lack of interaction, lack of collaboration, noise and distraction sometimes does does provide a negativity to um, to, to remote working. Having said that, as you mentioned, hybrid working, possibly the way forward, or indeed yep. iFlex delivery, which is another line I've actually heard to describe it. Ivanti, obviously in place to deliver this via the everywhere workplace, presumably. Yes, we are. Yeah, we've been talking about this for for some time now. Um, the last two years has really um, given the ability to for us to to really test this and provide solutions to to businesses that actually provide provide a really high employee experience, no matter of the location. So we want the office experience to be exactly the same as the remote experience to cater for your high flex experience, as you mentioned, or the hybrid experience. Um, it's it's a question of providing the employees with the right tools. Um, at the right time, but also feeling secure. And that means that the, the employee then is, is ultimately highly productive as well. And I suppose, again, looking at the, uh, the big questions such as the environment, it is actually better for the environment if people don't spend too much time uh, clogging up and spreading their carbon footprints around as well. There are benefits presumably to be had from that, uh, which everybody can uh, uh, take, the, uh, take pleasure in. There is definitely that. And also businesses, you know, most businesses today are driving a, a green footprint and the, the less people that are commuting in, um, again, contributes to, to an organization's green footprint as well. Ivanti.com, that's I-V-A-N-T-I, Ivanti.com, uh, presumably the best place to go to, David, to find out further information about the survey or indeed uh, the services offered by Ivanti. Uh, Yes. So if you go to that for the overall solution and then avanti.com forward slash report, we'll give you all the statistics that um, I've been talking about on today's call as well. David Shepard, Vice President, uh, EMEA. What, what does the EMEA stand for, just out of interest? That is uh, Europe, uh, Middle East and Africa. Excellent. Always, I mean, one was used to the old uh, brick economy, but that's all changing <laughs> these days. But uh, now we've got another acronym, which is great. So anyway, many thanks indeed. Take care and uh, keep on keeping on. Thanks, Alex. Appreciate it.